You're listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast, a cape-free zone where we share stories and break down strength and struggle narratives to reimagine lives with us at the center. I'm your host, Kayla Charleston. Now let's get into it. We are talking about one of my favorite topics today, which is travel and more specifically being an expat and living abroad. And one of the things that I have noticed from my travels is that people love a good solo travel adventure story. So I'm gonna share a solo travel story that I've only told my mom, probably because it might qualify as TMI. I'll let you be the judge and you can tell me if it's too much information or not. If it is, my bad. But today's story is about the time I was in Morocco and thought I wasn't gonna make it. So I was leaving the city of Fez and I was going to this city called Chef Shawin. And Chef Shawin is really special because it's a city in, in the old town of Chef Shawin. The buildings are blue washed, like they are literally blue and um, blue is one of my favorite colors, so I just I had to go to Chef Shawin before leaving Morocco. So I, I got on a bus to go to Chef Shawin from Fez, and it was just like a three-hour ride, so no big deal. So when I got on this bus, I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm just chilling, waiting for it to pull off, and this older, this little old lady comes and sits next to me. And I was, I was kind of happy to see her because... Um, Morocco was one of the more challenging countries for me to travel in by myself because I, it's not normal. It's not the norm for women to be just out here unaccompanied by men traveling in that country. So I got a lot of a lot of attention, a lot of unwanted attention, honestly. So I was happy to see a little a lady come sit next to me for the bus ride. So bus takes off and the little the little lady offers me some food. So I'm like, no, I'm good. No, thank you. Um, Some time passes and she offers me some food again. I'm like, no, I'm good. Thank you. She a little bit later, she offered food a third time. So I was like, okay, this little lady keep offering me food. I, I don't usually take food from strangers, but I was thinking, this is my thought process. It's a little old lady. So, you know, what are the chances she's out to get me? And then the second thing was, the food that she was offering was individually wrapped. So it wasn't like she was pulling food out of her pocket that she had wrapped in a paper towel or or pulling food from a Ziploc bag or something. It was food that was individually wrapped like, like you would get from a corner store or something. So that's what made me think that everything would be okay. I was wrong. <laughs> so I took the little, it was like a piece of some kind of bread or muffin or something. I took it. And I ate it to get her to quit offering me food. So um, after I ate it, I started feeling a little off. And, you know, if I was back home, I would just drink some ginger ale and go to go lay down because that's what you do when something don't feel right. But I didn't have no ginger ale. So I just went to sleep. And that worked for a little while until I felt until I woke up because like, you know, when you're in a vehicle and you start to slow down because you um, are about to stop and you wake up. So that's what happened. We were slowing down to stop at a rest stop and I woke up and I woke up feeling terrible. So like we stop at this rest stop and we're in at this point, we're out of the city. So we're kind of in rural Morocco somewhere. And um, I 
jet off of the bus because at this point my insides are screaming (laughs) and I need to find a bathroom as soon as I can. So I go into this little building that's there at this rest stop and I find, I expeditiously find the bathroom. What is that T.I.'s word? Expeditiously? Anyway, I find the bathroom and pro tip, (laughs) pro tip number one, when you're traveling, always pack toilet paper with you because not everywhere you go will provide toilet paper in the stall for you. And I made the rookie mistake of putting my toilet paper in my like luggage, my backpack that was under the bus instead of my day pack. So I didn't have my toilet paper on me. So there was a little lady sitting outside, sitting at a table outside the bathroom who was selling toilet paper, which was not the first time that I'd seen that. So I should have known. So I get to this table and it's like my life is flashing before my eyes and it's because I'm trying to hurry up because I don't want to be the I'm already the solo traveling black girl and that already got me enough attention but I also I don't want to be the stinky booty solo traveling black girl so and I felt like I was the only American only person from the U.S. on that bus so I just I just did not want any accidents to happen so i arrive at this table and my heart's beating i'm sweating my stomach is doing flips and this lady i'm trying to give this lady money to get some toilet paper i kid you not this lady after i give her my money this lady unrolls about three squares of toilet paper and if you've ever had an upset stomach you know that three squares is not enough for what's about to happen in that bathroom so like i'm i'm starting to panic even more because like it's I, all this pressure is building up i need to get to the bathroom asap so this little lady does not speak english because again we're in rural um morocco and the further you get away from like big cities or places where tourists are more likely to be, the less likely it is that people are gonna speak English. So like, I'm trying to like pantomime, please give me more toilet paper. I'm trying to empty out my pockets to do whatever I need to do to get more toilet paper. And like, I'm trying to hurry up to press upon her that like, this needs, I need more toilet paper and I need it now. So finally, I figure out a way to like, to uh, uh, show her that I feel sick and then she's like, okay, okay, I'm not gonna do her accent because I don't do accents well. But she says, okay, okay. And she gives me more toilet paper. So I run to the bathroom stall and I feel relieved immediately. And then my heart sinks once again because it's a squatty potty. I don't know if there's a technical term for squatty potties, but I just call them squatty potties because it's literally what you do. So like there's a hole in the ground or there's like a porcelain plate with a hole in it and you put one foot, you put one foot on either side of the hole and you literally squat down and line up just right and shoot for the hole. And I am, there's nothing wrong with squatty potties. I've actually heard that it's more healthy for you than sitting on a commode, but they, I'm kind of leery of them because I have this fear that I'm going to soil, I'm going to miss, <laughs> my aim is going to be really bad, and I'm going to hit my my clothes. I'm going to soil my clothes. So, And especially in this situation where it was going to be particularly explosive. So <laughs> I had to put my fears to the side and take care of business in that moment. 
So after that, I figured that I had, you know, averted the crisis and it was going to be all good. And I got back on the bus and tried to relax. And I only got to relax for mm, maybe 30 more minutes because as we got closer to the actual city, the city is located like next to or in some mountains. So we're going up the side of these mountains and the bus is swaying left to right, left to right. And it was upsetting to me in my stomach. <laughs> so, um, I started getting sick again. And I, I remember just sitting there like, if you can just hang on five more minutes. And I didn't know how long it was really going to be. I just figured we have to be almost there. So I kept saying five more minutes, just five more minutes. If you can hang on five more minutes. And this time I felt like I was, I didn't know, I didn't know which end it was going to come out of, but I just knew that I needed to get off that bus. We finally make it to the bus station and get off the bus. And my, I was staying in an Airbnb and it was in walking distance of um, the bus station. So I was like, okay, I just need to walk to my Airbnb and I will be home free. And like, I, I can do whatever in that little Airbnb and ain't nobody gonna know and ain't nobody gonna be none the wiser. I set out to go to walk to my Airbnb. I walked up this hill and I made it about like five minutes. I think the Airbnb was like 10 minutes away. I made it halfway there and I, I got so dizzy and I got so hot that I felt like I was about to pass out. And I'm thinking, what the, what was in this muffin or, or, or piece of bread that this woman gave me? So I actually had to sit, I, I, I got to a major, a major road and had to sit on a bench that was outside. And I just remember thinking like, I do not want to pass out in this country and, and like I don't I don't want to pass out here and I don't know anybody I don't speak French I don't speak Arabic like I can just imagine people standing over me speaking French or Arabic and I don't know what they're saying and they trying to figure out where I came from why this little black girl's out here by herself I just do not want to pass out here I sat down on the bench I took as many deep breaths as I could as many deep breaths as I needed to before I got up and put my backpack back on. I had my little backpacking thing with me. Put my backpack back on and huffed it to my Airbnb. Finally get there. I get my keys and I get there. And I'm and you know how when you have to go to the bathroom and your body knows that you're almost there. So like the pressure is it starts to build up even more and you feel like you're about to burst because your body can tell that you're almost there. Well, that's how it was with I, I, this time I felt like I was going to throw up. Um, so I got my key, burst open the door and dropped everything on the floor and was looking for the bathroom. Like, where's the bathroom? Where's the bathroom? The bathroom was not on the first floor. The, 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 the living room was on the first floor. There was no bathroom in sight. So I was like, fuck, <laughs> got to go up the stairs. So I went up the stairs to the next floor. Turns out that there was only one room on each level. So the first floor was the living room. The second floor was the bedroom. So no bathroom to be found on the bedroom. Time, I, I kid you not, in my head, there was a, a um, 
stopwatch, <laughs> like a shot clock or something going off, like counting down literally the seconds I had before it was just too late. So um, I'm on the second floor with a the bedroom. There's no bathroom. So I have to go up a third flight of stairs to get to the kitchen. And then the bathroom was tucked over to the left. So as soon as I saw the bathroom, I made a beeline to the toilet, but I didn't make it. And I actually threw up like literally a foot from the toilet. <laughs> so I still am grateful that I made it to the Airbnb without any accidents in public or passing out in public because I was, I was within inches of, of both of those things. After I was done being sick in the bathroom, I went back to the bedroom and I slept for about 14 hours until the next day. And when I woke up, I felt refreshed and I figured it was a case of food poisoning that I had. But um, I, so when I felt better, I went out to explore the city because like I said, blue is one of my favorite colors. So I had to get some exploring in before it was time to go. One of the things that I like least about solo travel is that you, when you're alone, you have to figure out how to take your own pictures. And I'm not too fond of selfie sticks. I think they're kind of corny. So I wasn't sure how I was going to take pictures in this city that I was really excited about seeing. Luckily, I randomly ran into a group of travelers who were about my age and um, were only in the city for a few more hours. So what we decided to do was have an impromptu photo shoot where we walked around the city and took turns taking pictures of each other. And you can actually still see the pictures on my Instagram. They're adorable. Um, so it turned out, it turned out to be a lot of fun. And one of the girls that I met, I told her about when I told her about my food poisoning and the little lady next to me offering me food, she was like, you should have just said no the third time. And then the third time you said no, she wouldn't have offered you anything else to eat. And, you know, I don't know if that's true, but we'll never know. So if you're wondering why I told you this story that you may be thinking was TMI, uh, it's because solo travel and being an expat are not necessarily the norm yet for black women. And there are going to be moments of, of, discomfort and you'll hear in the interview today with my guest where she has had moments of discomfort but she pushed past them and she pushed through them because it's important to her to create a life built around experiences rather than tied to a specific location so even in her moments of discomfort it's still all worth it so i tell this story just to illustrate that it's possible that you'll have some shitty situations but in the end it it's for me it's always been worth it so if you were to ask me would I go through all that again to get to Chef Shawin to see the blue city and to meet some random travelers and have a photo shoot in this beautiful ass city if you ask me if I would do it again I might say yeah like <laughs> so um I just tell a story to push people out of their comfort zone there will be discomfort there there will be discomfort but like growth is on the other side and I I grew from that experience I will never forget to pack my toilet paper in my day bag ever again
Today's guest is Lene Hippolyte. Lene is an entrepreneur, the host of the Gold Standard Podcast, a world traveler who has been to over 40 countries and an expat who has lived in seven. Lene, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Me too. So for people listening, Lene doesn't know this, but in my head, she is my business bestie and my Aww. lifestyle crush. <laughs> because <laughs> because you, you do a lot of stuff that I'm dabbling into um, and you're just the more advanced version of, of what I would like to do. So this interview is for my audience, but also a little selfish. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're going to do uh, bigger and better things than what I've done so far. Oh, you're too kind. So I, so here at um, Not the Wife Type on the show, we like to deconstruct strength and struggle narratives. But I also think it's important to highlight Black women who are kind of, you know, living on their terms and um, in a way that maybe is not is kind of outside of things that people think are kind of just different norms for Black women. And so I think that um, being an expat. Um, is one of those things, especially as a black woman, that is still not quite the norm yet. So like, yeah, we travel and stuff, but in terms of uh, especially U.S. born black women living outside of the country and thinking about life, a life outside of the country is not um, necessarily a norm yet. So I thought that it would be good to have you on the show to talk about your experiences as a black woman expat. Yeah, sure. So you're in, if I understand correctly, you're in Japan now. Mm-hmm. Currently How are living. How you liking that? Um, to be completely honest, it's not really my thing. Like Japan was never a place where I was like, oh, I'd love to live there. Um, but my, my husband moved here for work. He's in the military. So he got stationed here. So it was one of those things where, you know, a country where that I didn't necessarily pick, but I knew that I had to, to move to, so. Mm-hmm. Well, I, yeah. I think that's still cool that you are open enough to to go to a country and live there, even though it's not necessarily. Yeah, a place exactly. That, yeah. exactly. Um, the way that my life is set up is so that travel and, and international living is just kind of like been a part of it. So like I met my now husband, who's my boyfriend at the time when I was living in Amsterdam. And so I knew eventually moving to a new country was a part of the package. So although it's not a country that I necessarily chose, it is the new backdrop to my to my life. And luckily, um, you know, I know enough about like living abroad to be able to create a space that I feel comfortable in. Um, so it's not that bad. It's not it's it wouldn't have been my first choice, but it's not that bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. OK, so tell me about let's start with um, where you developed your love for travel and your desire to live abroad. Yeah, that, that's a great question. So. Um, I'm originally from Bermuda, right? And mm-hmm. for those of you who don't know, it Bermuda is like 20 miles. Like that's the entire size of the country. Like that's the whole thing. <laughs> so my love for travel came from the simple fact that if you wanted to kind of see and be exposed to anything in the world, you would kind of have to leave, right? Um, mm-hmm. Like the first time that I traveled, I think I was six years old and we went to Disney World. Um, and I always tell people, it's so corny, but we went on like the It's a Small World ride. I don't know if you know it's like I don't ride. never been to Disney World. Okay, <laughs> you need to go. Well, not right now, but when they open back. <laughs> um, so it's basically a, a kitty ride, and you get on this boat, and they sing like this song. It's called like in the song, it talks about like how small the world is, and they sing the song 
um, like American style, North American style, and then you travel on a boat throughout the world. And so as you go, they go through different cultures and they sing it differently. So like when you get to the Caribbean, they have like a little Calypso beat. When you get to Asia, there's like, it's more like Asian influence, India's India influence song. And so like, you got to see like the different cultures and stuff as you go around this ride. And that was the first time when I was like, wow, this is so dope. I would love to see like what it's like to be in these different spaces and different places. Um, and then you know, just being from such a small place, having exposure to things um, was important. So travel was a, a big part of growing up. Like I, I traveled twice a year from the time I was six outside of the country. Um, and um, our, our, our field trips, like our school trips were to different countries. Right. Like, so we didn't go like to the, to the local museum. We went to Washington, DC and <laughs> we didn't, you know, go on like a, a a boat trip. We went on a ski trip to Canada, right? So it was like I was exposed early on. It was just how I kind of grew up in terms of traveling. And then one of the things that I found out about was like this international exchange program where you can go to um, another country and learn another language. And I thought it would be really cool to learn Spanish. And plus, I kind of just wanted to get the hell out of my house. Um, and like do something different. But I, I wasn't sure that I wanted to go straight to college yet. So um, yeah, that's kind of how it came about. And then I did this like international experience in Venezuela. And then I was like, this is so cool, you know? Um, and I think once your mind has been expanded beyond, you know, the 20 miles uh, that I grew up in, like there was no turning back at that point. And for me, so I had kind of the opposite experience in, in terms of childhood. So as a child, we never traveled so it wasn't until undergrad that I studied abroad for the first time and it was to study Spanish. And I went to Costa Rica oh. and for, for six weeks and um, I knew immediately that I wanted a life of travel after that. After Good. tasting pineapple in Costa Rica, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> this is the life. Yeah. <laughs> That's what did it for me, um, realizing how much, how much better the food outside of the U.S. is. <laughs> Yeah, listen, I grew up outside of the U.S., so I kind of always knew. <laughs> you knew. You yeah. knew. <laughs> but um, we had kind of the opposite thing. So we didn't have McDonald's. Well, we had McDonald's when I was, like, super young because it was a, a U.S. military base, but they left. And they took McDonald's with them. So for us, going from Bermuda to the States, like, the first thing we want to do is, like, seven, eight years. It's like, we need to go to McDonald's. We need to go to Burger King. We're for y'all. Y'all were like, this is poison why are you eat it was such a big thing because it's like we didn't have it you know so we wanted right. all the trash that we could eat at that age i have a friend who lives in france and she says one of the things she misses most about the u.s is um the it's popeyes <laughs> so yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so tell me more about, because I know you have different reasons or different ways that you came into um living abroad and yeah. so for for me, one of the ways I, I've lived in, I've, I've lived, I think the longest I've lived outside of the country was six months. And I was able to do an exchange program through my grad program um, and live for six months abroad um, because my school had a, like a partnership with a school in Venice, Italy. So right. that's one way that I have experienced getting the opportunity to live abroad. But I was interested in some of the different ways that you have gotten the opportunity because I know some people listening might be like well how do I you know get the opportunity to just live yeah. yeah so so I've I've lived abroad for like every single reason you can imagine so um the first time I moved like I said was through exchange program for like it was like a high school program 
Second time I moved abroad was for university. So we didn't have colleges uh, in Bermuda. So I was an international student in Canada um, for undergrad. And then I moved to Atlanta for grad school. So I went for, for university. Um, and then third time I moved abroad was just because I kind of just wanted to go. Um, I wanted to move to Europe. And so um, I applied for like a bunch of jobs and ended up getting a job in Europe. But I do have passport privilege. I did have it. Because Bermudians, being born in Bermuda means you're also a British citizen, like just from Britain. So I had a UK passport. Um, so it was really easy for me to move to Europe at the time because it was like a uh, like freedom of movement. Um, mm-hmm. However, I did meet a lot of Americans a lot of Americans who were able to get visa sponsorships um, to work at international companies within the Netherlands. So I know that it's not possible. It's not, it's not necessarily the easiest thing, but it's not impossible. And also in addition, um, there's a treaty between the Netherlands and the U S where you can, it's called the daft where you can like go and start um, just move there and um, you know, start a business in the Netherlands as well. Yeah. It's not as complicated. Yeah, it's not as complicated as, as people people think. Um, so that was really cool. Um, and then I moved to Singapore for relocation. So my job actually relocated me from Amsterdam to Singapore for work. And then um, I moved for love. So I moved to Japan to be with my husband. Mm-hmm. Nice. So all kinds of different reasons for Yeah. <laughs> Bunch of different reasons. I have heard your um, episode talking about your experiences um, living abroad, and you mentioned there's a difference between people who are called expats and people who are called immigrants, or not necessarily a difference in the people, but a difference in why people call people expats versus immigrants. Yeah. Can you can you speak more to that? Yeah, it's racism essentially. And actually, I'm glad you said that because we we're talking about that this week on um, our Instagram page, but. In my view, the only difference is racism. Um, but what what they say is that you know an immigrant is someone who moves to a country for a better life, and an expat is someone who comes simply for work. But a better life essentially means work in the first place. Um, it it also um, because black people were never really a part of the expat equation to begin with. Like I'm like not supposed to be an expat. Expats are typically like white men, right? Uh, we are now considered expats because of the countries we come from, right? So I come from like Bermuda or North America. Um, if you come from the UK, if you come from all of these places, you're considered an expat. Or if you're working at like a an, uh, a multinational organization, right? So you can come from, you know, um, you can come from Syria, you can come from Sierra Leone and on all of these places. And if you work for a multinational, Google, uh, Uber, Netflix, you're considered an expat. You work for your janitor, um, you're considered an immigrant, right? Um, or if you come without employment and then you you don't end up finding anything that's like super high, you end up homeless or whatever, you're called an immigrant. But essentially, the reason why you're moving abroad is for the same purposes, right? You want to have a better life. The reason why I to Amsterdam is because I wanted to live a better life. So if that's the case, I should be called an immigrant as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So and this is part of my secret agenda to get more U.S. born black women thinking about <laughs> life abroad. Right. And how that may, you know, contribute to a better life. 
Yeah. So um, you also mentioned in that episode that moving to the United States was, or moving to Atlanta was kind of the first time you realized that you were a Black woman. Can you speak more to that? Yeah. So so that was interesting. And a lot of it was a lot of naivety on, on my part and just being like, not necessarily sheltered, but from a completely different culture. So I grew up in Bermuda, which is, it's an island in the Atlantic. We're not Caribbean, but we're Caribbean associated. So it's, it's a predominantly black country. Um, mm-hmm. So you don't necessarily interact with, with white people all the time. Um, and mm-hmm. so I never had to consider myself a black woman because everybody around me was black. Most people around me were black and the few white people that were around me were just kind of like the minority. So it was just like, I'm not necessarily a black woman. I'm just a woman who's mm-hmm. you know, from Bermuda. Um, and then moving to Canada and being, so Canada itself, I, would, I wouldn't consider it super diverse, but I lived in Toronto, which is probably one of the most diverse cities in the world. Um, and so I was around all different kinds of people. And so my my identity wasn't necessarily tied up in my race. It was more so associated with me being from an island, being Caribbean. Yes, I was black, but it was like, oh, she's from the Caribbean or she's from um, Bermuda. This person's Jamaican, this person's Indian, this person's, you know, national born Canadian, whatever. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of how I identified. I was identified as like this girl from the islands versus like a black woman. Um, and so then going to America, what I found was that in the States, you're immediately put into boxes. And this isn't just black women, right? This is for a black man, white women, white men, like people immediately need to identify how to interact with you. So they have mm-hmm. to take like, these preconceived notions of what they think a black woman is and dump that on you. And then that's your identity and that's who you are and that's how you're treated, right? And so um, it was the first time that I had to like think of myself as, okay, I am a black woman. And these are the things that people in society think about me. And it, it could have been happening my whole life. I just was never really aware of it. But in the US is when I kind of realized I'm gonna be treated this way by the police. I'm gonna be treated this way by my white counterparts. I'm gonna be treated this way by other black women. These are the things that they're gonna going to associate with me because I'm, I'm black. Um, and it, I never like let go of that. And I think in a way, Open my eyes to looking at the world differently. And when I moved to Amsterdam, um, it was amplified, I think, a little bit more. Where, mm. um, ex- so there was this black, there was this blackness about being a black woman, but then there was also on top of that, you're from North America. So you're treated mm-hmm. like a black women from North America. White women mm-hmm. from North America or the Caribbean are treated differently um, as well. So it was just a, like a, in addition to it, like U.S. was step one and then moving to Europe was like step two. <laughs> That's interesting. So, yeah, I think for me, it, it was the reverse um, because I was born in the U.S. So right. I had a very early understanding of you're you're a black girl, even if I didn't have the language for it. Even mm-hmm. like I can remember back in elementary, looking back now, right. I can remember like being aware of it, even in like elementary school. And right. um, for me, I think. When I traveled, I, probably not Costa Rica, but um, when I traveled to Europe for the first time, I think that was when I started to see that in other places, it's not as much about your race um, as it is your nationality. No, there are there yeah. is still racism and anti-blackness everywhere, yeah. but <laughs> but um, <laughs> but it was amazing to me to see that like people 
there were people who saw me first as American and not yeah. like a, a black woman. Yeah. Um, but you still, I but I still noticed that people still see race because I did get profiled in places like Italy and Spain um, yeah. because, you know, they would see I was black and then they would be like, can I see your passport? Probably thinking that I was from an African country. Yeah, exactly. And then once I pulled out a U.S. passport, they're like, oh, never mind, you're good. It changes so, completely. The, 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 yeah. the same experience in the Netherlands. It's the same experience. Yeah. Their, their whole vibe changes when they realize you're not um, from Af an African country. Yeah. And to be honest, that's kind of one of the things that I want you you said you mentioned passport privilege, and I know you meant it in a way in terms of like what countries do you have access to based on your yeah. passport. But also, I think there is privilege in having a, a, a U.S. passport and the, well, if Trump hasn't ruined it for us, but <laughs> it, it, privilege <laughs> in having a U.S. passport and like the I don't want to say respect, but like yes, no, yeah, absolutely the, right. Yeah, yeah so absolutely right. I I, I agree one thousand percent. U.S. passports. UK passports, uh, any EU passport, um, are people treat you differently, especially if you are um, you grew up there, right? So like you're coming with an American accent, you're automatically put in a different box than than a Senegalese person coming. You know what I mean? Because you're looked at as someone who is like them, right? You're not part of the problem. Um, and for people who don't know, there's a lot of a lot of racism. Um, within Europe for um, people of um, people from the, the continent, because mm -hmm. a lot of them are immigrants, some have come over illegally and they complain that they're taking jobs and all of this stuff. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of discrimination against them, particularly in the South, 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 um, Southern Europe countries, like the ones mm -hmm. in Greece, Italy and Spain and all those. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, xenophobia. So it's kind of, it's yeah. kind of not that different than, the immigration stuff that happens here and the fear yeah. mongering that happens here in terms of immigrants coming to take our jobs and things. So yeah, yeah it still happens. Yeah. What about some of the, let's start with the challenges. What, what do you think, speaking of like your race and gender as an, as an expat, um, what have been some of the challenges for you in, in being an ex expat? Yeah, that's a good question. So there's no like real blueprint. Like, so you know, I, I came from a culture of like expats. I grew up in Bermuda. Bermuda is big in international business. So there's a lot of expats from the UK. So I knew about the concept, um, but I had never seen a lot of black expats. And, and so there was a lot of insecurity in my ability to be able to be successful in my jobs. So like when I moved from, I lived in Atlanta, which is like black, it's black. Mm -hmm. right? So then I going from mm -hmm. Atlanta to like the Netherlands, you know, the Netherlands is a very white country. Um, even mm -hmm. though there are a lot of black people that people don't know, but I was like the only black person in my company. Um, and I was really worried about my ability to perform well, um, mm -hmm. in my role. Cause I was like, wow, there's all these white guys here. I wonder if I'll be able to keep up, you know, because mm -hmm. you have this internalized inferiority complex that because Absolutely. You know, they're seen as some people who know more, they have access to better education. So they're probably better mm -hmm. suited for these jobs. Um, and then within like, I don't know, six months, I realized they're all idiots and what <laughs> they did. And why was I, you know, doubting my ability when, you yep. know, the only thing that I think they had over me was confidence because mediocre white men have been given unwarranted levels of confidence at the beginning of time. 
and um, it caused them to to believe in their abilities um, more than than me. And so that was the first time that I realized, like, uh, you got it, like, you know. So mm-hmm. I would say not having a blueprint led to a lot of insecurities in the beginning of my career and a lack of confidence in my abilities. Um, and then in addition to that, being a black expat, you, you kind of like are kind of like the um, poster child for the, the black people in your country, right? Mm-hmm. So even though I'm not American, a lot of people associate me with America, which is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, not if there's nothing wrong with it, but it's like, I'm not, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, and so they ask like really stupid questions um, about like, you know, the things you like, they ask you about certain music. They like try to connect, connect to you on like stupid things. Um, mm-hmm. And also as a black woman, there's a hair, right? Like it's, it's mm-hmm. the same everywhere, except I think in the States, people are less brazen. Um, and, and us, there, there is a level of like curiosity and intrigue, but there's mm-hmm. also like levels of fetishization as well. So they want to touch it. They want to ask you stupid questions about it. And it can be frustrating. Um, I remember I had issues in Singapore where I had braids and like women would just come and touch my hair, you know? And then I went to HR about it and they were like, well, what do you want us to do? And I'm like, tell them to stop fucking touching my hair. What the <laughs> no! fuck? So, um, yeah, I, I, you, you kind of just feel like, uh, a spectacle a little bit because they, they're not used to seeing you, right? They, they're used to seeing white people. They're not used to seeing black people, especially um, well-educated black people in positions of authority as well. I, I like to think like when I'm abroad, it's a weird, like, I don't know if it's a paradox or what, but um, it's like, I feel hyper visible and invisible at the same time. Yeah, and, yeah. and invisible in a sense that, especially if I'm in a, in a non-majority uh, black country, I'm obviously I'm obviously hyper visible because um, I'm not from there, so they can tell that you know I'm not I'm not a native, and so things like my hair do stick out. Um, but invisible in a sense that um, since I'm not from there, um, it's kind of like oh she's like a tourist or something. Especially if it's a really touristy place, it's just yeah. like a tourist, so we don't. So people don't really bother me in that sense if they think I'm a tourist, but yeah. um, hyper visible in the sense that I stand out, you yeah. know, and I have black features and hair and things that people are curious about. So yeah. it's a weird, it's a weird feeling. Yeah, feeling I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly yeah. what you mean. So I felt the same way, especially in Asia. Um, so when I worked in Singapore, I was very hyper visible because like I stand out like a sore thumb. I'm short, but mm-hmm. like. So height wise, I'm the same, but like, obviously I'm black and I'm different. So people right. are a lot. Um, but then when you're at work, it's like, it's, it's more difficult to, to make friends because they're like, oh, she's, she's an outsider. Like, you know, she's not part of the culture, so we're not going to include her. And it's, I don't think that it's intentional at all. I think it's just like, you're different. Right. And they don't know, they don't know how to engage with you. So they just prefer not to. Right, right. And that reminds me of a question. So you've lived in seven countries. Have yeah. you I know you speak I know you speak Spanish, but yeah. do you speak any other languages fluently? Or how no. and how has that impacted your ability to like fit in there? Great in question. Countries? Um so yeah, I did learn Spanish and fun fact, my undergrad degree is actually bilingual French 
um, English economics, but I don't speak any oh. class of classes. Like I just was like, <laughs> don't get through this. Because I realized that for me, in order to learn a language, like I couldn't learn it in a classroom. I would have to be mm -hmm. exposed to it. So I, I was really not good at learning French. I know some stuff because it's, it's a little similar to Spanish, but not a lot. Um, fun fact, um, in the Netherlands, about 90, 93%, 94% of the population speak fluent, perfect English. Um, mm -hmm. Dutch people will try to tell you how to speak English, to be honest. Like, so I never really needed to learn. Um, I never really needed to learn Dutch to get around. I worked mm -hmm. for two Dutch companies, but the, the operating language was English. Everything was in English. So it, mm -hmm. it was not difficult to get around. And, and also, like, I had to think Dutch isn't a language that you use often, right? Like, the only people that speak Dutch are people in the Netherlands and people in Suriname. Nobody even knows where Suriname is. So like, am I going to use, like, it's not as useful as Spanish. Spanish, you can literally use half in half the countries in the entire world. Um, mm -hmm. So I just thought from a, and, and Dutch is complicated. So I was like, from a time perspective, does it make sense to spend the time to learn this language that I'm not going to use? As soon as I leave here, I'll never use it again. Um, so I just didn't bother. Um, and then Singapore, the main language is English. Um, mm -hmm. So that wasn't an issue. Oh. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that, but the the primary language is English. Like everything's in English, um, and then Singapore is like a mix of three or so, uh, like nationalities and cultures. So you have like um, Indian, Malay, and Chinese, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so the overarching language is English, just to kind of like I guess keep the peace. I don't know. <laughs> Neat. Spanish was my minor in undergrad. So I'm supposed to know more Spanish than I do. <laughs> and you live in Costa Rica. I know. Yeah. I, I'm, I haven't used it since uh, I graduated. So I'm very rusty. But um, I have found that knowing English has been enough to... Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, me, yeah, to get by and navigate because you know most most of the world or a lot of the world speaks English or and a lot of people have aspirations to speak English because of the access that it can give them to to know English. So exactly. I I have I have aspirations to you know speak more languages, but you know there's not enough hours in the day. I feel like <laughs> to yeah, do everything. Agree, I want to do. <laughs> agree. Agree. And, and, oh. Yeah, I I always try to like think about like okay, what's the value in learning, mm -hmm. right? So you talked about challenges. What about what have been some benefits for you as a, a black woman expat? Yeah, you're always the underdog, right? And people are like always super impressed with you, um, and mm -hmm. then because they just don't expect just from their own and everyone has like biases, right. But from their own biases, they don't expect you to be able to like do well. So when a lot of people, when they see it, they want to help you even more. Like I remember, mm -hmm. and obviously I'm, it, it's weird saying that I was an expat in, in America because I'm so like American influenced. But like, I remember coming from Canada and going to the U S and I remember I was in, I was doing a grad level course in economics and I got like the highest grade in the program. And, um, he read that like the instructor, he like read off our names. And when he saw me, he was like, what, what, what are you doing here? Like, why are you? So anyway, I grabbed the paper and I remember he was like, can you come um, to my office afterwards? Right. So I'm like, what, what do I need to go? So I went to his office and he was like, listen, um, you know, I'm really happy to see that, you know, you're doing well. If you ever need a recommendation, if you ever need mm -hmm. anything, I'm here to help you. And he wrote my, he actually wrote my recommendation letter to get into the master's program at that school. Um, so that was one of the things. Um, you're also like, 
the the diversity hire is that when you get the job like you're like the diversity hire they want to put you on all the damn billboards and all the videos <laughs> you know what i mean like puffy in the 90s right that's you as the as the expat no but um i think you're kind of like um given opportunities to 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 push to push forward just because people don't expect people like you to do well. So they they want, I've seen, at least in my community, they want me to be further. Um, the, another benefit is um, just from living, like people leave you alone. Like I, I would say like um, they may try you, but like as a black woman, and this is not necessarily like for everyone, but like as soon as you like talk back, they don't expect um, black women to talk back like because they're used to like um, different kinds of, of um, immigrant. They're used to black people being immigrants and being afraid to speak up, right? So they think they can say what they want. But when you're, you know, a black quote unquote expat, or when you're in the country and you have a little bit more means and you speak up, like they don't try you anymore. So I would say that's one of the benefits that I found as well. Interesting. Yeah. So do you do you ever miss home? Do you ever um, feel like, oh my God, I want to go back or I need to go back so I can get, you know, whatever that you miss? Um, home is like, I don't even, I don't know what that feels like anymore. Like, it's weird. I mean, I miss, I miss my family, but home is, um, home is a foreign concept. Like, I don't know what that, I really don't know what it feels like to be like, oh my God, I'm home. Cause I left Bermuda when I was like 17. Right. And I'm 30. So I've been going for like 15 years. And obviously I would go back to my family. When I was in college, I would work there every summer. Um, but my life and my life experiences are spread so much around the world that like this concept of home is is not necessarily a place anymore. It's like experiences and people, right? Like so it might be like it might be like a beach in Thailand, or it might be um my our family picnic in Bermuda, or it could be like um, Amsterdam Black Women, which was a community that I helped found in the Netherlands. Uh, you know what I mean? Or it could be like- I'm, I'm part of that group, BTW. Oh, you are? <laughs> yeah. that's awesome, that's so cool. Yeah, amazing. So yeah, so for me, home is less around like a specific place and more around like my family that I've created um, amongst the seven countries that I've lived in. But yes, I do miss miss them but the sad thing is like I'll never be able to like feel at home again because everything is so spread out now you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I I understand that and I and I like how you put that I have friends who are like well you will pick up and go anywhere at the drop of the hat like I just moved to a new city at the beginning of this year and I don't know anybody here <laughs> I'm um in Baltimore I moved okay. from Atlanta so um okay. and I didn't know anybody here and I was just like hey let me just try something new and go so um I really like how you put that because I honestly feel the same way there's so much out there to experience and yeah. beyond just you know where you're from um so for people or black women who are interested in um, looking into being an expat or living abroad, what would you say are some of the first steps that they should take to this kind of life? Yeah. So the first thing is like completely unrelated. Um, and I'm going to tell you this because I made this mistake multiple times, but really evaluate where you are in your life and who you are as a person. 
um, and why you want to move. Because what happens a lot of times we want to move to get away from things and mm-hmm. don't deal with them. They come right with us. And we're thinking all this time that it's the place that we're at, right? We're like, oh, I want to leave Atlanta. I want to leave uh, DC. I want to leave this place. Um, and you move to Spain, you move to Germany, you move to Colombia, and you're having the same problems because you never dealt with what was happening internally, right? So mm-hmm. you do a deep internal look at yourself and at, at your life and the, the baggage that you don't want to carry with you, right? So think mm-hmm. about things like, oh, I want this new life. Think about the things that you're going to leave behind, first of all, and sort sort that out or at least begin the process of identifying it and sorting it out. So that's the first thing you need to do. Otherwise, you're going to end up in, in Colombia and just as miserable as you were when you lived in, you know what I mean, um, California, because you took that baggage with you. I've done it. <laughs> Don't be like me. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is figure out what you want like in the place, right? Think about what matters to you and what doesn't, right? Do you need to live somewhere that's has great weather? Do you need somewhere that has a great um, economy? Do you need to live somewhere where you can drive or do you only want to have to deal with public transportation? Like what kind of life do you want to live? Right. Because Mm -hmm. you're going to, you don't want to like go to Paris because everyone's saying go to Paris and you hate, you know, pigeons. All right. Or, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) you, you know, you really have to kind of think about what you want versus what the culture is telling us. Cause like now that black people are traveling and moving, like there's hotspots, like everyone was going to Iceland, um, even though it's like, okay. But so the same thing with expats, right? Like everyone wants to go to Paris. Everyone wants to go to London. Everyone wants to go to Thailand. Is that really for you? Right. Maybe you need to go to, I don't know, Rotterdam, or maybe you're, you'll be better in the South of Spain, who knows? But um, so really think and identify what it is that you want from a place and think and think about what you're willing to give up because no place is going to be perfect um and then put your plan Mm -hmm. together right think about like am i going to go to start a business or am i going for a job and then figure out what the steps are from there so work backwards from like okay i want to be there in january 2022 here's all the things that i need to do to make that happen for people who are who make the move and who go and who are there what would you suggest for finding your tribe yeah, definitely use uh, the internet. So it's so much easier. And I, I, like, I feel like people have no excuse because when I was doing this in like 2004, 2005, like I, there was no internet for me to like find my tribe, right? But um, try like uh, Facebook groups. There's tons of Facebook groups for, you know, networking. Every country I've been in has like a black women in X country or black women in X city group mm-hmm. where you can go and network and meet people and stuff like that. Um, and so definitely join those meetup.com is another great one. Um, also mm-hmm. try and see if like the municipality has different expat events. Cause usually they put on like really cool free events. Um, and yeah, just, just pay attention to anything happening on the interwebs about your specific country. Um, go to the different events, just kind of be open um, and yeah, have just try and say yes to as much as you can because that's going to help mm-hmm. more and more people. Perfect. Well, I think that was the last question that I have for you. So if you want to tell folks where they can find you at on the interwebs. <laughs> Thank you. So um, you can find me at, at goldstandard underscore on uh, Twitter and on Instagram. And you can find our uh, information on our website. We're doing a big push for like move abroad. Um, type 
material type of content. Right now, all of it is free. Um, it's uh, thegold-standard.com. All right. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank Lene. you for having me. This was fun. It was. Thank you for listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe so you'll know when new episodes drop and rate and review so others will know how much you love the show too. If you want to keep up with me personally, you can follow me on Instagram at Not The Wifey Type. Until next time, I'm reminding you to belong to yourself. <laughs>